Hello and welcome. You are listening to The Sound of My Voice, which means you must be listening to the Two Beers Please podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Yannick, joined by your other host, Matthew. How are you doing, Matt? Everything going well with you over there? I'm good, man. I'm 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 doing well. Looking looking forward to the holidays. Not a fan of how early it's getting, you know, with, with or how how dark how early it's getting dark. Pardon me. Um I, so, you know, that sucks, but that's the way of the world uh, this time of the year. And we've had really good weather. It's been freaking gorgeous in New York the last couple of months besides some rain. So I'll take it overall. Yeah, me too. It's been like 70s. I went outside today. I was sweating. I haven't felt sweat in a good two weeks. So that was good. Maybe that has something to do with my exercise routine, but you know, maybe not. Maybe it's just the weather. <laughs> Might just be on me, but uh... <laughs> but uh, I, I did, I did like it. I did like it. That's yeah, good. Nice. I'm a fan. I'm a fan of the nice fall weather. Uh, yeah, gotta love that fall weather. You know, coming after a shit year, it's good to have the fall to fall back on. <laughs> As for always, uh, you can find us on Facebook. You Nobody laugh at that. I laugh. Nobody at freaking it. laugh at it. You I laugh. Not. I know. There's no, I'm, te- I'm telling them. I'm telling everyone listening. Don't oh. laugh. You better not be laughing. Oh my goodness! Find who you are and smack you. You're my real friends. Uh, you can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter at two bp underscore podcast. That's the number two bp underscore podcast. We're on Instagram. Two beers, please underscore podcast. Written out as it sounds. You can find us on Spotify, review us, and follow us on Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Anchor. Uh, What I do after our episodes is I kind of stand on my balcony and I'll yell the podcast out verbatim afterwards. So if you're in Washington Heights, you can hear it. You can hear it. Yeah, I just read. I do an impression of Matt, too. He does a spot on me. It's uncanny, quite frankly. Yeah, actually, that was me right there. That wasn't even Matt talking. There you go. <laughs> there you go. It's like, have you seen, have you watched um, Big Mouth? I have. Yeah, I love Big Mouth. So, you know the one, there's like that one joke where like Nick does like Coach Steve's voice. He's like pretending <laughs> to do Coach Steve, but it's both Nick Kroll. And they're like, man, you're really good at doing that voice. And it's because Nick Kroll, it's <laughs> freaking Nick Kroll and both of them. Oh, my goodness. Well, we're both doing well in this fall weather, so why don't we take a nice fall stroll to the pub. Matthew, what are we drinking today on this lovely 11-11? 11-11. I didn't even realize that. Wow, that's solid. Solid armistice day. Um, yeah. I just got a good old cheap, crappy Narragansett, which if you're back in the Midwest, you probably – I had never heard of Narragansett till I moved to Brooklyn – Classic little Rhode Island, just cheap beer. Been around since like 1890. One of those beers you get with like a nice cheap whiskey shot when you go out. So I didn't want to spend too much money and I just rocked with the Narragansett. But I haven't opened it yet so we can get the nice. Oh, oh that wasn't as loud as I wanted it though. It was, you know it was what? Nice, but... They can all be winners. Sometimes you go to the bar and the beer is True. good and sometimes it's cheap. And that can be good in different ways. I also went cheap for my beer and by cheap i mean a couple episodes ago you heard me drinking a brooklyn east ipa and i am finishing off that six pack today so that is what hey, i did. nothing wrong with that nothing wrong with that because you know we're not raking in the big bucks just yet so let me finish off the six pack for this episode and not buy a whole nother one and uh 
cheers to the Imperial IPA. It's it's the I mean the East IPA. It's very good. You know, a classic. I'll be getting another one very soon. And uh, glad we both had the same ideas. You know, sometimes you go to the you bar and you get something on tap that's really nice, and you really want to be titillated. And sometimes you just want what's what's there and available. Yeah, there's like four dollars. Uh, perfect. <laughs> Perfect. I see a cold. Especially, I see a cold beer sitting right there. I'll just. I'll take this one. I don't. Here's a couple bucks. We're not picky. We're not picky over here at the Two Beers Please podcast. We just want two beers, please. That's it. That's. I do. I not, do like getting a nice a draft beer though. Like you're. You're so. You're so right. It's sometimes it's fun to be like, yeah, I'm gonna get a twelve dollar. I mean, usually if I do that, I make sure it's like you know pretty high alcohol content. I'm like, I'm. I'm gonna get some bang for my buck. But it is. It's enjoyable to do. And then sometimes it's enjoyable to get just really crappy, normal wheat water beer. And that's yeah, the way I went go. tonight. Wheat water beer. You don't get one of them. You get three of them. And yeah. uh, that's how it that's how it works. Uh, <laughs> my goodness. Uh, let's move on to the question of the day. There's been a lot of talk uh, this last week about and, and by talk i mean it's been on all the sports networks i feel like and granted i listen to a lot of sports networks with mike greenberg so maybe it's just him repeating himself all over and over again which is <laughs> fair which is fair welcome to my radio show where we talk for two hours about what we just did on my talk show yeah and i bring on the same guests that were on get up and we talk about the same things except and i love him so i love bites. it yeah it's so funny oh, but man, it's like the it. mo- it's like this mike we don't i don't we clearly don't need this show i don't get it yeah you know i you know i i appreciate it still i don't get to watch get up nowadays so i i appreciate the the podcast radio listening when i can but yeah there's been a lot of talk about you know who is the best wide receiver in the nfl you know you got you got Michael Thomas, obviously coming back from injury, but his crazy season last year, you know, had a decent game in his first game back. You got Julio Jones in Atlanta. You got DeAndre Hopkins, obviously doing wonders in Arizona now that he got traded from the Texans. And you don't, I don't need to tell you, you got Devontae Adams killing it in Green Bay. So Hell I want yeah. your ranking, Devontae Adams, Michael Thomas, Julio Jones, DeAndre Hopkins. I'm not going to give you any parameters. Rank them on whatever you need to rank them on. Who are your? Give me your top four there. It's it's a tough question, you know. I mean, we don't even have the receptions and receiving yards leader with Stephon Diggs in the question. You got Tyreek Hill and Thielen racking up touchdowns. You got DK Metcalf kind of emerging, but I do think these four are the best for me. It's it's kind of a two player question between Adams and Hopkins. Um, I, I probably I don't know. I probably put Michael Thomas fourth, Julio third. Julio would have been probably been my answer for number one like two years ago, but just getting a little older, um, not not quite the the player he used to be, but you know, ha- had been I think the best wide receiver in the league for several years. I mean, you you can it's tough with receivers because you can look at it you know just stats wise and be like, well they're the best, but we all know it's it's more than that. And I think Julio Jones was has been the most vital one. Um, and I, I love Michael Thomas, but he's used in a very specific way in that that New Orleans Saint offense with Drew Brees where he, he does rack up a lot of stats. But, I mean, if, if you watch those four, you, you I personally don't think you can tell me that Michael Thomas is the best out of those four just doing the eye test. So comes down to Adams and Hopkins for me. I absolutely love Devontae Adams, of course. Like, you know, I, I thought he'd be good. I never thought he was going to be this good. The guy's an absolute monster. I believe he's probably more important to the Packers offense than Hopkins is to the Cardinals. 
But, you know, Hop- or Adams has also gotten the tutelage of Jordy Nelson, Randall Cobb. He's been catching passes from one of the best quarterbacks of all time in Aaron Rodgers throughout his career. DeAndre Hopkins caught passes from 10 different quarterbacks while he was in Houston. You know, he really started to excel in the last two and a half seasons with Deshaun Watson, but his first Pro Bowl season of 2015, he had Brian Hoyer, Ryan Mallett, TJ, TY Yates, or TJ Yates, pardon me, and Brandon Whedon as his different quarterbacks that he caught passes from. Brandon? Do do you really, like, do I need to say more? Like, the guy, not only was it four not capable quarterbacks, but, like, had to deal with them all and has been such a, like, dominant receiver. And now, like, probably isn't as dominant because he actually has some help in Arizona, but... I still go DeAndre number one, Devonte two, Julio three, Michael Thomas four. Yeah, that's so funny. I have the same exact ranking, and I, I we had yeah the same exact one because for me, so the Michael Thomas situation, it's not he he was phenomenal last year and the year before he was great too. So him and Devonte Adams are very similar. Where in terms of spread, where we have some spread to look at with Julio, and we have some spread to look at with DeAndre Hopkins. Those two have had. You know, they have come into it a little less, so there's less to look at. And if you're looking between Michael Thomas and Devontae Adams, I mean, the season that Devontae Adams is having this year, I put him above Michael Thomas. And I'm also going to go with recency bias and put him above Julio as well. You know, obviously Julio is a monster, and he's always going to be in the top three consideration, but just the injuries have kept him back a little bit. And so I, I couldn't, in good faith, put Devontae underneath them because Devontae has had trouble with injuries too, but has just done so – I mean, he's just a monster. If he's not catching three touchdowns a game, he's doing like 190 yards. It's ridiculous. He gets I mean, he misses a game and then comes comes back and gets like the stats worth of two games. He's like, oh, so I got to get my touchdowns and receptions from last game I missed too. Sorry, guys. Right, exactly. And Julio, I think also – I mean, I had him on fantasy a couple seasons. He does not like the end zone very much, you know? So I give that to Devontae Adams too. I think Julio always racks up the yardage, but – Devonte has that red zone threat too, which is just like how do you, how do you guard? I mean, how do you guard him? He's, he's dangerous everywhere. So uh, that's why I give Devonte the two. But I agree. I mean, just the amount of quarterbacks that the bad quarterbacks that DeAndre Hopkins has had to deal with and not be a diva about, and he's just done his job. I mean, he's just done his job and and been excelled at it. And just like you, just look at who the Texans are this year and who the Cardinals are this year, and that tells me everything. That that's that's the impact when the best receiver in the league switches teams, you know? So I, I definitely have DeAndre Hopkins up there and also like to boot uh, DeAndre Hopkins, like what a classy receiver too. Like that's just the cherry on top. He's just a classy, good dude. He just rules. He rules. He rules. I mean, all these, all these guys, I mean, Michael Thomas, I don't really, the, the jury's out on him. I think he can be a little up and down in terms of how he reacts to things, but I mean, all these guys are, are pretty Devontae Adams. I loved his response the other day when when I love that when people ask, Do you think you're the best receiver? He just said, I think it's fair that to say Hell that I am. am. And I was you like, want a, I mean, you, you want a little divaness with your wide receiver, like a wide receiver with no like confidence and, and swag. Like even Hopkins had it's understated with DeAndre Hopkins, but he has it for sure. And yeah, like if right. you if you want to be a, like receivers aren't fun if they don't have a, a little bit of that, you know. Right, but di- the, funny- the divaness as we call it. With, right. And specifically with receivers. Yeah, exactly. You know, you wanted to hear him stand up for that. You know, you definitely did. And he did. But like, I don't even consider it. I mean, the 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 bar for diva has been set so low from Antonio Brown that I'm just I don't cons- I didn't think that was a diva move at all. I, meant, I mean, diva in a good way. I use it like 
pro like positively with like I mean you can use it negatively, but I think there's I think there's a positive side to being a wide receiver diva because like at the same time as like a wide receiver like if you're the best and you're not getting the ball like you should be getting the ball more if you're the best and you're open. So like there's you know it's there there are some positive aspects to the diva mentality. Right. Like, look, you mentioned Stefan Diggs, you know, in Buffalo because he wasn't getting the ball enough in Minnesota, you know, and that's just like how that was going. So I agree. Good rankings there. Obviously great for four receivers. Uh, you know, Keyshawn Johnson talking a lot of smack, how Michael Thomas is number one. And I'm like, Michael Thomas is your nephew. You don't get to talk, right? Like, yeah. that, that's like he, not a thing. But you kind of have a, 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 a little more dog, like fight in the game there, Keyshawn. So I respect you for answering that. If my nephew was in the discussion of top four receivers, I would probably choose who my nephew was too. But I like Michael Thomas is great and he does a lot of good things to the Saints. And, and maybe I – Maybe like when he gets out of this certain like offense with Breeze and the Saints, he'll be able to kind of show off a little more what he can do. But as of right now, just the way he's used as, a, as opposed to these other guys, it's just it, it's a different kind of, of receiver. He doesn't stretch the field out like these other three guys do. He, he just doesn't. He's a reception monster, which is great. But, you know, you have these other guys on like – game changers i don't think michael thomas is a game changer i think that he michael thomas is used like wes welker was like exactly efficiently like nobody was saying wes welker was the best receiver in the league was he insanely efficient was he dangerous as hell did he make that offense tick to another level hell yeah but nobody was looking at him being like yeah that's the best receiver and i don't think it's fair to to call michael thomas that Exactly. Exactly. I'm Matt, if you were in the top four wide receiver, I would pick you too. I want you to know that. I would also pick you too. I would be I would be just fine with number four. <laughs> so don't worry. Matt's like, I'm number four. I'll take number four. Yeah, I'll take number I will four take all four. Day. Take number 400. Sure. Oh, my goodness. I'm not picky. Oh, boy. Well, let's move right into it. Away from football. <laughs> not picky. No, none of us are. None of us are. I'll take number 400. My goodness. <laughs> Oh, my man. Yeah, I think about that sometimes when you look at the FIFA rankings and look at who's like 321st. I'm like, I'll take professional football player on 321st Fiji. I'll do that. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. I will. That's ranked. Yeah, that's in there. Hell yeah. <laughs> that's in there. Doing better than my current ranking. So, yeah, I'll, I'll take it for sure. Right now, I have a big... It's an upgrade, substantial upgrade, quite frankly. Exactly. I have a big NA next to my name right now. Yeah. I have a big free agent. That's not I'm what sure you there's, want. I'm sure there's a Matt Smith somewhere that's ranked high. I'll just pretend to be him. Right, right. It's gotten, exactly. it's gotten me into a lot of Doctor Who parties throughout the years, so <laughs> it'll work this way too. Got to have a podcast episode about that situation. That's You can't just mention <laughs> no, that I just, like I, I do that, and then they're just like, well, your head isn't the weirdest shaped head I've ever seen, so I don't believe you're that, Matt Smith. I'm like, damn it. You got me. That's fair. That's fair. That is the hallmark. Sorry, sorry that, Matt Smith, but you, you got a hell of a noggin, dude. I don't know what you want me to say. One hell of a noggin. That's the episode right now. One hell of a noggin. That's going to be it. I'm telling you, you guys are listening to this. That is the first hour of the You are currently listening to One Hell of a Noggin. Oh, my goodness. All right, One Hell of a Noggin. Let's move on to soccer. We had some exciting domestic league. You start us off either in Italy or in England, wherever you feel. Oh, you know, since it was a good weekend for United, we'll, we'll start in the EPL. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it looks like we're, it looks, I mean, you know, we've, we've talked about this a lot with all the leagues of, okay, what's it going to look like? Are these teams going to be there? As far as EPL is concerned, I think it's going to be a pretty fluid season, you know, throughout it 
with really kind of an ever-changing top four. I still think it's pretty clear Liverpool is the best team, but I don't think Liverpool is going to go and grab the top spot, you know, next week. Well, obviously not next week, but you know what I mean, um, and, and hold it until the end of the season. I think there's going to be some more change, some more ups and downs. Um, after 38 matches, I would be surprised if Liverpool's not hold, hold, holding up that trophy, but I, I think it's going to be an up and down season for a lot of different teams, which is exciting. You know, a lot of teams with a chance at Europe. Um, and you know, hopefully you, you do think, you know, take that as a sign of, of kind of the growing sides from, you know, more of the middle pack teams and, you know, the parody that is coming into England and not, you know, lack of skill, but uh, we'll be optimistic for now. As I said, good, good day for Man U last time they went out there. They reversed it this time with an abysmal performance in Europe, but showed up in the Premier League. Got a 3-1 win at Goodison Park over Everton. Certainly kind of two. This has to do with Everton losing the steam that they started with uh, to begin the season. They've lost, I believe, four straight now, maybe three, and, and kind of lost a little bit of the the just execution and, and ability to score that they had to start. So I, I think that helped M- Manchester in this one, um, going up against a team that was kind of losing form themselves, but great brace by Bruno. Uh, Cavani gets his first goal. Kind of been a failure so far in the early season, far more Radamel Falco and, and Sanchez than an Ibra or Robin Van Persie season from the striker. But I think, you know, at the end of the day right now for United, it, it's they go how Bruno goes. And if he has a poor game, they're going to have a poor game. If he shows up and makes plays, they're, they're probably going to win. Um which is a little worrisome because as much as I love Bruno Fernandez, I don't think any team you're not always going to go out there in, in the sport of soccer and, and play perfectly. Not every pass is going to be on, not every goal is going to be on. So when you rely on one player to be that perfect, you're asking a whole lot of them. So something needs to be figured out there. Hopefully more play for Donny van de Beek and Pogba and such. But as of right now, that I think that's the biggest kind of weakness for United. Crystal Palace leads United, leads another team that kind of started fast, but slowing down now. We talked about it before with their open play. It just kind of leaves them vulnerable to, to giving up a lot of goals themselves. Happened here against Palace in a 4-1 loss. So that's going to be the season for Leeds. Um, you know, I think, again, they seem strong to, to stay up. But uh, the, as many 4-2 wins as they'll get, they'll probably get a couple 5-1 losses in there as well. Uh, and another nice result for Crystal. Uh, we turn our heads to the top of the standings now, and it's a lone Jamie Vardy goal being the difference for Leicester. Smack me if you've heard of that before. And they now what sit atop. Man. Again, like it's insane. They sit atop the EPL now with 18 points. Kind of expected this season to maybe another step forward for the young players in, in Leicester to, to take the next step and, you know, just impact the game a little more but it hasn't been the young guy stepping up as much as Jamie Vardy just still being the relentless goal scorer that he is so Lester on top of the standings they're not going to care how they do it if it's the young players or it's Vardy and as fans we're, we're always spoiled when we get to see Jamie Far- Vardy score goals another big English England stri- striker had a big goal this weekend 88th minute goal for Harry Kane helps Tottenham escape with three points over West Brom giving them 17 overall and putting them in second place. Their uh, earlier blowout of United already kind of helping them in their position because they have ten, plus 10 the goal differential to Liverpool's plus two. Liverpool also sitting at 17 points after their 1-1 draw with City. Just a boring game. Like I, I'm so, I was so disappointed by that game. I don't even want to 
speak on it. Saw, you know, Liverpool needed a penalty for their goal. City probably should have won from a De Bruyne penalty that was missed. And when, you know, you see the two best teams in a league, you're expecting more than we got. It was quite frankly for the level that those guys should give us a snooze fest. Um, finally sitting there in fourth is Southampton with 16 points. They beat Newcastle with an easy 2-0 win. Other kind of big games in the weekend was Chelsea's demolition of the Dean Henderson list Sheffield as they just keep struggling and Austin Villa. They've, they haven't been perfect, but they've, they've continued for the most part, their hearts hot start, certainly compared to last year, three Oh victory over Arsenal at the Emirates. Um, so yeah, top of the standings, Tottenham number two or top of the standings, Lester, pardon me. Number two is Tottenham. Number three, Liverpool, number four, Southampton and number five, Chelsea bottom of the standings. Sheffield there at 20th with one point, Burnley sitting with two, and West Brom at third. Uh, but that's how it's looking in the Premier League. No, no, I didn't mention where City or United are, so they're, they're somewhere in the middle of all that bunch still trying to kind of figure out where they'll be going this year in the league campaign. Yeah, it's interesting. You see the Premier League, and it's definitely the most competitive league in the world, but it's, it, you know, questions about, you know, how good the top of that league is, you know, definitely are pervasive. But Man, if Leicester isn't the most impressive team of all time, I mean, I can think of one team that has done what Leicester has done. It's Hoffenheim, who had never been to the Bundesliga. And at halfway point of their first season, they were first place. And I remember people being like, oh my gosh, this is the craziest thing that's ever happened. And Hoffenheim, granted, they stayed in the Bundesliga, which was impressive as well. And they're, you know, they've flirted with the top six at times. But to have a team like Leicester come up so many leagues, win the league, and then stay competitive since, I mean, it is – every day I'm i I'm just – it's just remarkable. I love watching them play. Jamie Vardy, you know, just one of the best strikers of our time. It's it's just – yeah, I, it's just so fun to watch. It just is. It's I mean, they've used their money well, and, and you, you think too, like I, the competitiveness of the Premier League is going to just only – I mean, I, I think that all these soccer like leagues have to look at, at the how the United States have have the leagues and the competitiveness of the leagues make people more invested. And so I think as each of these leagues try to creep more into you know the fabric of United States sport, I think that competitiveness in the Premier League is a, a huge benefit to all those teams. It's like, it's one it's one of those times where I'm like, why do you guys want to do a super league like that? No, you idiots. Let if, if you can if you can start getting West Brom to get fans in you know the United States and buy random shirts, it's going to help literally everybody in your league. So I I hope the parity stays and and even if they I mean personally as a fan, if the English you know teams don't win Champions Leagues, I don't care. I, I'd rather see you know a league where it's not as dominant as you know you see with like Syria or, or Bundesliga. Right. I mean. Exactly. Because because you look, I mean, you mentioned it, right? You had two of the top teams that in, in your head, you're thinking these two top teams would play each other in this Super League, right? And they play to a boring 1-1 draw because sometimes that's what happens when you have top team. You don't get fiery matches. You get tentative matches where no one wants to make the mistake. So that's not actually giving you the excitement you think it's going to give you. It's, yeah. it's giving you a different game and it might be exciting, but... You know, sometimes it's boring and you would rather have, I want to see in Germany, there's a team FC St. Pauli and they have like the fifth biggest fan base of all German teams. So like it's Bayern, it's Dortmund, it's, 
It's, I believe, Bremen has a big one. And then it's FC St. Pauli, who's not in the first Bundesliga, who's like a second Bundesliga. They might even be Regionalliga at this point. But man, that's so exciting. And you want teams like that to exceed for that reason, you know, for the fans, spending money wisely. And I, you're right. I think Leicester's a big, you know, Leicester is a great showing of that. And I, I agree. S- same in the U.S. sports. That's always been the big thing uh, in U.S. sports that they've gotten right. So we'll shall see how that progresses. That's why, that's why the NFL is so much more successful than everywhere else because it isn't the Yankees that have won every year. It's not the – like. Honestly, I love the NBA, but like the Lakers have been dominant since the 60s. Like that's boring. It, it's fun to see any team be able to do like now the Chiefs, a team that had one title before last year, look like they might be a dynasty for the next like 10 to 20 years. But we also don't know what's going to happen with Trevor Lawrence and all that. So like I, I hope we see it more in soccer because soccer is certainly it's a quite big discrepancy between the top and the bottom. Right. And obviously that, and then there, there becomes the question of like, well, do you agree with tanking then if a team is not going to do well, should they lose as much as possible to get like an incentive pick? And that becomes like a difficult thing, I think. But at the same time, I agree. I, you know, when the top teams are the ones getting rewarded, and the bottom teams are just getting relegated and can't get better and lose all their players. It's like, you know, what's going to happen then? You know, there, there, there's some answer. I don't know what the answer is, but there is definitely an answer and it involves looking at how, at how U.S. sports kind of does its thing. I think tanking is a pretty specific basketball issue because there's that's really the only sport where one player can make enough. You think like football? Even, there's no tanking for even Tua and Trevor. I mean, the Dolphins were supposed to, and they didn't. I don't think I don't think the quarterback can make up enough like to, that. You would be like, I'm gonna tank. Like you still need a lot. Where like okay. a basketball team, if you get the one player, like you. I mean, there's times where a quarterback can make the difference, but I, 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 I don't think it's quite there. And quarterbacks are so like hit and miss. So right. I mean, look at Joe Burrow; he's doing so well this season, and they're still two and five. Like there's, yeah. you know, like I agree. That's a good point. That's a good point. You know, uh, yeah, good point. I'm not going to go any further than that. Matt makes a good point. I'm going to shut up. I'm going to go into the Bundesliga uh, and uh, talk about my team since Matt talked about his team. Uh, a good weekend. I, I needed to wait a little bit before I said a good weekend, before I knew how the surgery went. It went well. So I can say it was a good weekend uh, for my team. And so uh, let me go through some of the top results. I'm going to give a little less table standings, a little more. Which surgery, Yannick? Oh, I will tell you. I'll get there. Don't you worry. Uh, but let me first start with like kind of another Cinderella really story. Even I'm in the dark, baby. I am. I will tell them. <laughs> Don't worry. It'll be a couple minutes. Patience is a virtue, my friend. Uh, but let's start with a Germany Cinderella story. Do you know who's fifth place right now? Matt, could you tell me who's fifth place right now in the Bundesliga? I could, but I'm going to let you do it. Union Berlin. Union Berlin, who hadn't been in the Bundesliga ever, you know, reached the Bundesliga for the first time last season. They smack uh promoted team Armenia Bielefeld 5-0, which is not a surprise because Armenia Bielefeld is not a good team, so fair. But, you know, they do it with five different scores, and they're in fifth place, 12 points in seven games, and a plus nine goal differential. So they are well on their way, and it's really good to see a good team like them. Kind of like a history team like them. They, they were really good back in the day. My dad really liked Union Berlin, so he was like really like, oh, they're, they're back, you know, after like 40 years of not doing anything. So, yeah, that, that's really good. Union Berlin, 5-0 win over Armini Bielefeld, moved to fifth place. Leipzig obviously lost the lead 
last last week, gave it up to Bayern. They get back on track with a 3-0 win over Freiburg, move up to second behind Bayern Munich. And now, let me tell you what happened. Bayern Munich playing Dortmund in Der Klassiker. Uh, obviously a take on La Liga's El Clasico, but it's Germany's biggest rivalry. Happened early on in the season, and Bayern won it in a tight 3-2 matchup. You know, Dortmund looked really good, kept it close the entire time, but Leroy Sané, Bayern's new signing from Manchester City, gets the classy winner on the counter. You know, it was a little scary there for a little bit because Bayern, uh, you know, Joshua Kimmich went off with what it looked like an ugly knee injury. Luckily, it looks like it is just a slight tear and slight uh, hyperextension. He has surgery. He will be out for the rest of the year, but will not be out the rest of the season Four to six weeks, it looks like it's going to be um, Joshua Kimmich absolutely unreplaceable. So that would have been a huge loss. And I would not say that they could win what they did last season without him. But good thing for Bayern, they go top for the first time this season. They go top with a 3-2 win over their rivals. Dortmund fall to third. You know, we talked about it. Dortmund's only a couple hot points behind Bayern. But this classical win is what they always need because Bayern is not they don't drop points easily, and they definitely drop points less easily than Dortmund do. So is the season already decided? That's hard to say. Probably not. But this was an important win for Bayern and a very vital loss for Dortmund. And in kind of the game of the week, you know, we talked about Borussia Mönchengladbach in the Champions League. They were doing so well against Inter Milan, against Real Madrid. They were kind of like the third team, you know, beat Shakhtar, you know, having a really good Champions League season. And they play you know, fellow kind of top four contenders, Bayer Leverkusen, and they play in a seven-goal thriller. Bayern Leverkusen beating them 4-2-3. Um, brace for Lucas Alario for Bayer Leverkusen, who's been doing really well for them. On the other side, Lars Stindl, classic German striker for Gladbach, gets a brace as well. Seven goals, six yellow cards. It really was a great game. Leverkusen getting the edge. They move to fourth. Gladbach down to seventh. Not a lot of points separating those two. But that's kind of how the top four look. You got Bayern in the pole position after the, the rivalry win. Leipzig moves up to second after the comeback win. And then you got Dortmund in third and Leverkusen in fourth. Yeah, when I saw Kimmich got injured, I was like, that's that probably would you, I mean, would you say that would be the biggest injury for them if they if they had lost him? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know why? Because yeah. we played a season without Manuel Neuer and we did just fine. Oh, I, that would be the other. I know. I know. why. Yeah. I, I was mean, just seeing like, if you had any other player that you would argue, <clears throat> argue would be more like no. meaningful to miss. I, I mean, I, I can't think of anyone when I saw he got injured. I was like, he better be okay. I mean, I think the team could, could probably make up for it in the Bundesliga, but certainly Champions League would be, be a lot tougher. But, uh, right. I mean, we now, don't have a sitting in solid. <laughs> yeah. Now sitting solid in the league, um, especially after the the win. I'd like I just think Dortmund always has to win probably probably both of those matchups against Bayern to win to like win the at league. At least one. And, and then like and probably like if not win both, like probably like tie win. Like drop you need you need to get some points from each one. So tough, tough result for them and and big one for Bayern as they look to uh to add another Bundesliga title to their many, many ones. Uh let's Make our way over to Italy, Jan. We're going to start with the league leaders down there. Uh, normally familiar name atop of, of the standings, but not the last decade or so. It is AC Milan. They've been the leaders for the last few weeks, and they're, they're holding on still. Failed to make their gap larger this weekend. Would have had a good chance to do that. We'll talk about a few of the other teams and their results 
went down 2-0 to Kievo Verona after 20 minutes, including an own goal. In the end, saved by a late goal by Zlatan, who also missed a penalty kick in the game, but earned a point, fought back, uh, and they do lead Serie A with 17 points. Not really the Milan team we expected to be up top. You know, we thought this would certainly be more kind of enters year, especially after how they finished and, and the team they were bringing together. But after the last few years of AC Milan, you know, they've, they've made a lot of movements in the transfer window. They've they've re like constructed this team and it kept kind of being like, all right, is this going to be the year? Is this going to be the year? So far, so good this year. Um, and and hopefully it, it is keeps up because soccer is not quite the same without AC Milan. It's one, it's one of those many times that I complain about, you know, the teams who are always at the top, but then when you don't have them competing, you kind of miss them. Uh, some of those other teams that dropped points this weekend as well, Lazio and Juve met as well as Atalanta and Inter, both kind of the headline matches of the weekend for Serie A. Neither, none of the clubs could gain any ground on the league leaders, AC Milan, each match ending 1-1. Classic late Serie A goal in Rome saved Lazio, Felipe Casido scoring in the 95th minute after Ronaldo gave Juve the lead in the 15th. Meanwhile, Lotaro Martinez and Alexi Moranchek got goals for their clubs in the other tie between Inter and, and Atalanta. Uh, Juve and Atalanta are sitting in fifth and sixth, respectively, with 13 points. Juve leading with the nine plus nine goal differential. Meanwhile, Inter is in seventh with 12 points and Lazio ninth with 11. So not exactly where those teams want to be, but even from ninth to first, only six points separating Lazio and AC Milan. So season still has everything up for grabs. None of these teams are really able to pull away each time you, you think, you know, like this weekend, AC Milan could have gotten a win against Kievo Verona and kind of grown that lead. For some reason, the teams can't, can't seem to take advantage of those opportunities. Um, the other club from Roma, the capital, fourth is for, with 14 points after they beat Genoa behind a Henrik Mikantarian hat trick. Not something I expected to be saying probably ever, but uh, good, good job for him. I mean, hey, I got I got no ill will towards Henrik. I, Excellent, I, I, you I boy. I wish him the best. Yeah, I wish him the best. So, hey, solid job. Um, wish I would have seen a few more of those hat tricks while you were a red, but, you know. <laughs> Keep on killing it in Roma. Keep on keep on doing big things. Uh, Napoli also sitting with 14 points, but sits in third because of their plus eight goal differential. Victor Osimhen earning them the 1-0 win over Bologna this weekend. And finally, second place, Sassuolo continues their improbable start. They drew this weekend with Udinese, but 15 points sitting in second. As I said, kind of just taking advantage of a lot of these clubs like, like Juve, like Lazio, like Inter that are dropping points and, and getting ties when they should be getting wins. Um, so an interesting start to Serie A. a AC Milan first, Sassuolo second, Napoli third, and Roma fourth. As far as the bottom of the standings, it's Crotone at the bottom with two points. Udinese, they got that point against Sassuolo. They're sitting at 19th with four now. Um, and then Genoa is in 18th with five points. Torino also sitting with five points in 17th place, but a minus four goal differential to Genoa's minus eight. So fun start to the Serie A season. Another another league that seems to have quite a lot of parity um, after what's been such a long dominant run by, by Juve, Jan. Yeah, I think that happens sometimes. You know, you don't see it all the time. Obviously, like you look at league, we're not... By the way, if you don't know why we're not talking about league, uh, it's because PSG has like a seven point yeah, what lead. What do you want us after, to say? Yeah, what do you want? I don't like we. I could pretend to be excited, but I, <laughs> I'm really not at all. So, 
you know, it like they were down, they lost two of their first three games and they're still up by seven, nine games in. I mean, what do you want? Yeah. What it's like want? it was so quick. It was like, oh, is PSG gonna be in danger? Like, no, it no. We did mention that, didn't not. we? We're like, are they gonna? Oh, are they? <laughs> no, they're not. Why? No, they're they're not. Did we did we forget the other nineteen teams that play in France? I yeah, yikes. But um, yeah, it, it, Serie A is definitely exciting. It's so nice to see AC Milan up. I mean, you know, we're old enough to remember the really great AC Milan teams. You know, Clarence Seydorf, Gennaro Gattuso. You know, you know, you had uh, Alessandro Nesta Paolo, Paolo and Maldini, Paolo Maldini in the back, Dida in goal, the Brazilian goalkeeper. I mean, just great teams for AC Milan, uh, great defensive teams, but also, you know, Filippo Inzaghi up front, who's a coach now for, you know, just great teams for AC Milan. So it's really great. They're the second most Champions up. League of all time. Like they're one of the most historically great teams and they've just been just been poor the last decade, really. Right, and it's good to see them back on top. I mean, it is, and I and I'm rooting for them for sure. But uh, Sassuolo in second, Southampton in fourth. It's the year of S teams that like are just doing ridiculously well. Yeah, just gonna play solid soccer, and just, and they're kind of doing it sneaky too. Like I feel like neither of them, like most of the times, like we talked about how well like Everton was doing, or even like Leeds, even though Leeds wasn't in the top four, but like Southampton and Sassuolo are just like chilling and doing well and they're probably fine with that like don't talk about us just let us let us go under the radar and think we suck right i don't know if you noticed this but you said sneaky solid soccer by sassuolo and southampton so we are killing it today i don't know if you guys know this but we are absolutely unintentional fire (laughs) all right well let's move over to la liga uh alliteration in a different way the spanish league you know we've been talking Barcelona struggling, Atletico Madrid not taking advantage, Real Madrid, where do they end up? Uh, Let me tell you some top results from the week in La Liga. First, let's start with Barcelona. They get their first win in five matches, Matthew, and it's a resounding 5-2 win over Real Betis, who at some point were first in the league, I think a couple games in, but they haven't been slouchers either. Braced by Lionel Messi, but of course, even though Barcelona get their first win in five matches, it's on the back of something terrible. They lose Anzu Fati for the season, and so it uh, can't have any good news without bad news in Barcelona this year. So uh, unfortunate for them that they lose the youngster. Obviously, not the bad worst news thing in the for world. all. Bad news for all. Yeah, great youngster. He's got just, so many. Yeah, just because he's fun to watch. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's got he's got some time though, so you know, not a career ending thing or anything. So just unfortunate to not see him play with Messi, with Dembele, uh, with Griezmann. And as you, as you say, they once like two steps forward, one step back. Like Barca just can't catch any break. They can't. They can't. Lionel Messi's like, are you kidding me? Does this mean I have to do that? I'm I'm sick of this, guys. This is just this place is hell. But yeah, they win five two against Betis. Pretty comfortable win for them. They move up to eighth place. Right below, you guessed it, Betis, who are in seventh place despite that three-goal loss. So uh, they still got some work to do, but um, that's that's uh, a good a step in the right direction, I suppose, for FC Barcelona. Atletico Madrid get a 4-0 win over Cadiz. Uh, Luis Suarez grabbing another goal for his new club, braced by Joao Felix, the young Portuguese superstar. Atleti jump to third place, and Cadiz fall to 20th? No, they fall to 6th place that's crazy caddies falling to six they've had a good start to the season getting really uh promoted this year 
good for them. Despite the 4-0 win, they sit in sixth. Uh, Atletico Madrid, you know, they had a rough Champions League, you know, losing to Bayern and then not beating up the other opponents in their group like they should have. But they've got their fourth straight win in La Liga, so watch out for Atletico. They're coming up in the Spanish League. Now, you know, we are talking – I didn't realize this. We were talking S-teams. Let me talk to you about another S-team that's overperforming. It's Real Sociedad. They get a 2-0 win over Granada. They got goals by Oyarzabal and Nacho Monreal. You'll know the second name from past teams. They have five straight wins, and they are top of La Liga right now. Real Sociedad continuing to win five straight wins, top of La Liga, and they stay there. And finally, in the shocking – uh, the shocking score of the league in the weekend. Valencia and Real Madrid had an in- enticing matchup, but nobody expected Valencia to beat Real Madrid 4-2-1. It was a drubbing by Valencia. Carlos Soler getting a hat-trick to down Los Galacticos. You know, Real Madrid wins 4-1 last week and they lose 4-1 this week. So that's sometimes how it works when you're an inconsistent team. And uh, they fall to fourth behind Atleti and a surprising Villarreal team who are in second after their win against Getafe. So you've got Real Sociedad in the lead. You've got Villarreal second. Then you got Atletico and Real, both the Madrid teams sitting neck and neck in third and fourth. You kind of feel like Real and Atletico will get their stuff figured out and challenge. But for now, you got Sociedad in pole position. I love it. I love it. I mean... That a league that like I you know doesn't get as like much flack maybe is like Bundesliga or Syria because they've had like different winners, but it it's Barca and Real every year now, and sometimes Atletico. So let it be anyone else. I'd I'd, I'd love to see, especially Barca and, and Real, just not do well in the league. I don't have that much hope that it you know it'll hold up, but for now I'll take it. Right. I mean, eventually, what they haven't done, Real Sociedad will eventually have to play Atletico Madrid, Real Madrid, and Barcelona e- twice each. And they haven't done that even once yet. So that's what we have to wait for. But I mean, can you think of a more successful transfer if David Silva gets transferred to Real Sociedad and they win La Liga? I mean, he is going to be, be wanted legendary. by everybody. My be legendary. I hope Byron signs him at that point. Come on over. Even- even if there's not like a direct like you even look at it and like there's not even a direct correlation but he would still get so much love plus sometimes like that's the kind of that's kind of addition to that like you can't you can't put a value on on everything that he he would bring your team because that's the kind of player that Silva and just like leader like whether he's playing or not you know david silva's impacting that team positively exactly he's just such a great guy we talked about you know, great teammates as well as great players. And he's one of them for sure. I don't know what he was doing in Man City, but glad he's out of there. Anyway, let's you move. You and me both. Oh, boy. There, I see that's why he was in that, in that baby blue. Oh, man. I, uh, I'm i not a Manchester United fan like Matt is, but I will say I have a similar hate for Manchester City to the, to the core of myself for so many reasons. So we share that at least. <laughs> it's an e- it's an easy hate to have, quite frankly. Yeah, it's an easy. As far one. As I, I guess maybe as far as I'm concerned, but I, you know, I think it's if you easy to hate them. Yeah, if you haven't researched hating Manchester City, try it today. Seven try day free trial. It might just be for you. <laughs> it might just be what you need in these Corona times. Is <laughs> hating? They're doing so poorly for once. Hate on them. It, it's so easy right now. Just do yeah, it. Yeah, it's true. 
Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, that's the soccer news for the week. So let's move on to college football. Matt, there's a lot that happened this weekend. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to give us a score to go through and we'll give our thoughts. Sound fair to you? I love it. All right. Well, we're going to start with one of the early games of the week last week. It was Miami against NC State. And, you know, we thought, you know, Derek King, how does he, you know, continue to show himself? Well, he balled out in this one. Granted, Miami had a tougher than expected game against NC State, but Derek King getting five touchdowns in a fourth quarter comeback win for Miami. He also had 105 yards in the ground. What do we think about Miami's win over NC State? Yeah, it's a solid, I mean, solid win. I was impressed by by the performance of, of NC State. I think I think the ACC as a whole – like I, you know, there's a lot of projections that like Miami against Florida in, in a bowl game. I think Florida is probably a, a few touchdowns better than Miami. Like I don't yeah. think Miami is really quite an elite team, but I think the ACC as a whole has has improved a lot, and I think this game showed that because I think Miami is a good team, and I think NC State's a really good team. Like I, I think this game showed proved a lot about the Wolfpack probably more than than the Canes. Um, the Canes had had a solid performance against Clemson. Um, but yeah, I, I was I was really impressed with NC State and obviously Derek King getting to kind of come to Miami and and as he said over 400 yards, five touchdowns. This offense really is is perfect for him and he's surrounded by lots of weapons. So um, he, he's he's just a fun guy to watch and and I think it, as I said, my biggest takeaway is just kind of the the ACC getting better again because they've been they've been a pretty been pretty crappy football conference the last few years besides Clemson. Yeah, and these are not the only ACC teams that impressed this weekend that are not used to being impressors necessarily in the last couple of years, but we'll talk about that later. Let's move on to another quarterback story. We had questions over BYU. They're 8-0. Can they go 9-0? We had questions over Boise State. They're 2-0 early season. What are they really? This game kind of answered both of those questions for us. Boise State losing 51-17 to against BYU. Quarterback Zach Wilson shining once again. He had three touchdowns on 360 passing, and he had only six incompletions. Also another note, statistics-wise, Tyler Algauer for BYU, 14 carries, 123 yards, and two touchdowns. So BYU's defense holding Boise stay out. BYU's offense being, you know, firing on all cylinders. They are 8-0. What do we think of BYU? Yeah, I mean it's a it's a really good BYU team. We talked about it. Zach Wilson's a, a superstar quarterback, and they've got a defense that's just really really good. Uh, forced two turnovers in this one, held Boise State to 310 yards, and you know a lot of that was more garbage time. I mean the score doesn't even do it justice. 51 to to 17, but they were up 45 to three. You know with you know 10 minutes to go or so in the fourth quarter. So those last two touchdowns by Boise State that the game was over and done with. But um, it kind of, for me, goes back to what we talked about with this game. This was BYU's eighth game. It's Boise State's third. Like, BYU is a really good team that's just hitting on all cylinders while Boise State's just getting their their season kind of underway. I, the more you look at, at BYU, it, it really – they're not going to make the college football playoff, but they've got a great, great chance to go undefeated, earn a New Year's Six Bowl, and, and have a great season. And I think – most projections right now have them going up against someone like Oregon. I, I think most major teams, I think BYU could hang with. I think, I think that offense is that, you know, had two or had over 200 rushing yards in that game as well. It's, it's not an offense that relies just on Zach Wilson, but he can make plays. And I, you know, obviously have talked 
on end on end about how much I love their defense. So I, I think BYU is a great chance to make that New Year's Six Bowl and and upset a major conference team. Right, exactly. I see them as a very exciting <clears throat> bowl team to come. I think there would have to be far too much going wrong with the top four. I mean, just the ce- the floor would have to fall out of some of the top four teams. To, I mean, Notre Dame would have to lose against BC and like Clemson. Well, would, I mean, they, I mean might. yeah, maybe Once we'll we see. Talk about the game. Well, yeah, someone might bring that up. Happening. That's fair. Okay. All right. Well, we'll we'll leave it for that then. Let's move on to the Big Ten but don't, for now. But I don't think even BC beat no. Notre Dame. Like they need everyone to lose like three times. Like they just and that was their marquee game. They they did a great job. They put on the performance they needed to do. They they're just not going to have enough quality wins. But still a great season to be had for them. Right, and we just hope they go undefeated and get a good bowl for that good team. Let's move on to the Big Ten. We had the Indiana Michigan game. Obviously, Michigan. Losing to, uh, which now you look at the Hawkeye game, which we'll talk about. It's just like, what were they doing losing to that team? I have no idea. But, you know, Michigan losing a rivalry game against Michigan State coming into this one. So much hopes for the Wolverines. Now it looks like Harbaugh's on his way out. This game certainly didn't help him. Indiana, obviously impressing. They were 2-0 and coming to this one on the back of a really good double performance by Phoenix Jr., their quarterback, and he impressed again, Indiana beating Michigan 38 to 21. It was not close. Michael Penix Jr. throwing three first half touchdowns to really down the Wolverines as soon as the halftime whistle came. Joe Milton, you know, threw three touchdowns as well, had two interceptions. Also to note, Indiana had running back Stevie Scott the third rumble for 97 yards and two touchdowns. Indiana are three and zero. Michigan are one and two. Obviously, Michigan is not going anywhere. That's kind of fair. How high can Indiana go? How, like how? How? What are we thinking? You know, I mean, well, honestly, you look at it, and like at least east side of the Big Ten wise, they've played two of their three hardest games. Um, I, I don't think any of us are expecting them to beat Ohio State. Um, maybe they can give them a little run for the money, but. I, I as good as Indiana's done, I don't think they can hang in, in that. But they've gotten through Penn State, they've gotten through Michigan, Michigan State, Rutgers, Maryland are the other three teams in the Big East. Maryland's looked better than expected, but not nearly as good as Indiana. So I, I, I think you had to assume the Hoosiers finish with the, you know, second in the East. <clears throat> and depending what Wisconsin does, I mean, if Wisconsin misses one more game, they can't like compete in the big 10 championship game like they, they, their season is, is gonna kind of just be mute like they're, they're gonna play games but they're not really gonna matter as far as like championships go which then really helps indiana to get that second bowl spot um for the big 10 which in this year would probably be the first bowl spot because ohio state will most likely make the playoff so the hoosiers are in pole position to make a you know new year's six bowl themselves I was impressed in this game. I thought Michigan was going to come out with a little more fight just because, yeah, that Michigan State's not good. It was a bad loss. But clearly Minnesota's not quite as good as, as we all thought. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I, I think the Hoosiers right now look like the second-best team in the Big Ten. Yeah, I agree. I think at this point they've earned that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, 
for them to beat Ohio State and Justin Fields, I mean, we'll talk about really quickly how they how they did in their weekend game, but would be a shock beyond shocks uh, for them to beat them. It's it, at hang- Ohio State too, you know, like yeah, it, yeah. It, it's a lot to ask of the Hoosiers, despite having a good season. And 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 you know, you also have to ask this game. While it said a lot about the Hoosiers, I think it said much more about Michigan. You know, how good was Michigan coming into this season? I think we overrated them. You know, I think. They had a battle overrated Minnesota too. Right, exactly. So I think we were just wrong about some teams coming in and Michigan losing to Michigan State and, you know, losing to, you know, they're just not as good as we thought they were. But Indiana are 3-0. That's what matters to them. We'll see how high they can fly and I enjoy watching it for sure. Let's go over to USC versus Arizona State. Closer than expected uh, in, in an interesting way, USC beating Arizona State 28 to 27. You know, we talked about Slovis quarterback for USC, you know, one to watch. He threw two touchdowns and one interception this game. He went 40 of 55 for 381 yards. The big story in this one, USC were down 27 to 14 with 11:23 to go. And they had two touchdowns in the last three minutes. They were down 27 to 14 with less than five minutes to go. Fair, 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 fair. That's that's a more accurate description of it. They were they <laughs> they were they were. I I was going from the last score. They were done. Matt, Matt was Matt was going from the true timing of it. But yeah, they had two touchdowns in the last three minutes to win the game. I mean, un- improbable comeback in a year of improbable comebacks. But USC gets the win. That's what's going to be on the scoreboard. What do we take from the Trojans and Kevin Slovis? I I was like watching that game and it was 27-14 and five minutes. Like I think USC was driving and like turned the ball over with, you know, how, not turn the ball over, but, you know, had to give up possession, punt it away, what have you, with six or seven minutes to go. And I was like, oh, this one, like probably actually even less than that. And I was like, this one's over. So I go to run an air and then like the next time I look at my phone, USC's up 28-27. And I was like, holy shit, they're going to win this game. Um, no, I mean, I think, I think Arizona state's a probably a, a, a salt and like a better team than, than we gave them credit for. But really for me, this is like Slovis is just with that arm there. There's not a lot of quarterbacks that can throw you back into a game in three minutes. Um, but that guy can, and with, with the cannon that he's got the accuracy, the power, I mean, like he's had 55 throws, like they're going to throw it with him a ton. Um, and they should because he's able to to make those plays just like that. And I still think um, Oregon probably looks the better team than USC after Week One. But with with Slovis, he's kind of, he's that game changer. He he can do he can make up for deficiencies on your team that uh, you know just just don't matter when you got a player like that. So that's my big takeaway: like that 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 dude can throw you into any game, no matter what the score is. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, I agree. I I think Kevin Slovis. I mean, we knew it coming into this season that he's that he is a quarterback to watch, and he just proved it again. I, you're right. I mean, how many quarterbacks lead three minute comeback? I I I, I can think of a Dude, couple. He was he was terrifying against the Hawkeyes in that bowl game. Like that. You're I, right. I, I know, you're I know right. I've said that before too. Like if he wouldn't have gotten knocked out, that game would have been a much closer game because that dude has a cannon. Like he can he can put the ball wherever he wants and. He's still so young. He's only a sophomore, which is absurd. I can't believe that. I feel like he's been around forever. That's nuts. That's nuts to think about just because we've talked about him so much, though. That's fair. But, uh, you know, another good quarterback coming out of USC makes you think of some other quarterbacks. Uh, 
currently not doing so well. None of them, none of them are good in the pros. Right, of course. Carson Palmer but, went and had a good career, and then like USC was just like, we're going to keep on reeling out great quarterback prospects that all suck. Sam Darnold, that was not his fault. That wasn't his fault. It wasn't, but he's sucked so far. Like, Yeah, like, that's fair. He sucked. Sanchez got two a- AFC championship games, I guess, but uh, Matt Barkley, Matt Leinert. Oh, like, Matt Leinert. I forgot about Matt Leinert. My goodness. Matt Barkley coming out of high school was like – supposedly the greatest quarterback ever and did yeah they were talking about him like lebron they were like this is gonna be you know the best quarterback in the world he could go now Yeah, that's crazy nope football changes uh constantly you can never predict what's gonna happen most of the time it's which is like it's it's like why would you think like oh well this kid's really good as an 18 year old throwing the ball like you you know the 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 difficulty he's gonna be dealt with is gonna change quite a bit guys Right. It's like he's not facing Aaron Donald at 25 yeah. years old on the other side of the ball. Let's see how he does that. Some of those high schoolers look like me. So, yeah, he's probably going to throw for 400 <laughs> yards on them. Yeah, that's fair. If he's not throwing for 500 a game, what is he doing? Let, quit now. Quit while you're ahead, honestly. But, yeah, let's move on. You talked about Oregon. You know, they had a game against Stanford. We were talking this is like the big game to look out for. Pac-12 coming back. And it was a pretty one-sided affair. Oregon beating Stanford 35-14. to 14. You know, the defense of Oregon holding well against the Cardinals. Tyler Shaw, we, we thought about it. How is he going to do at quarterback taking over for Justin Herbert? You know, an inconsistent result. Throws one touchdown, also throws an interception. Definitely not going to be necessarily a big factor to lead them down the stretch per se. But we also talked about C.J. Verdell. How will he do for the Ducks? Can he be that main focus point of the offense? He had 20 carries for 105 yards and one touchdown, so pretty decent start for the Oregon running game. They grabbed the 35-14 to 14 win. How convincing was this for you? Did it convince you that a Pac-12 team can make the playoffs any more than you thought beforehand? I mean, no. I, I think I, – I, I really, I guess, the you know, the, the saving grace for the Pac-12 is, is if Oregon and um, USC both go undefeated and, like, do it in a lot of style – then their Pac-12 championship game does become, you know, uh, could become a top 10 undefeated matchup. But I, I just don't know if either of them would have enough even going into that game to beat, you know, Alabama, Ohio State. So it, it just seems it seems unlikely for a conference that's kind of struggled to get recognition in bowl seasons that that I, I actually don't think either team is going to be undefeated when they meet in the Pac-12 championship game either. So I I – I am not convinced that a Pac-12 team will will be a part of the college football playoff. But I do like the Oregon team. I think they're a good team. I, I just don't think this is the year that they make the playoff. You heard it here first. Pac-12, not getting any love in Corona. Not getting any love ever. Uh, we're really going to gloss over the OSU game. They played Rutgers. They were obviously going to kill them. Uh, they beat them 49-27. to The reason I wanted to bring this game up, even though it seems kind of like a given, Justin Fields... Five touchdowns, 24 of 28 passing. You know, do you think he took the Heisman lead now that uh, Lawrence has been out a couple games? If I had to vote for somebody right now, I'd vote for Fields. I mean, yeah, the, I the think guy, so. The guy's incredible. He's, he's got, I think, 12, no, no, uh, 11 incompletions on the year. He also has 11 touchdowns. He's got zero interceptions. We know he's dangerous on his on his legs, but really the guy's just a, a tremendous quarterback. 
uh, averaging over 300 yards per game through the air, 222.4 quarterback rating. Like the guy, the guy is just kind of doing whatever he wants. And I think that's going to continue for him. And I, I, I think with Lawrence kind of going out um, and Lawrence also not really like the thing that, that is probably unfair to a guy like Lawrence is the expectations for him that of like what he has to reach with that, like with being such a, you know, he's going to be a great NFL quarterback and he's leading this already number one team. And he won the championship as a fret. Like he's never going to hit what people expect him to do, let alone like above it. So the, you know, the expectations are probably unfair. And I think that also helps fields because fields is, is a favorite, but he doesn't have quite like the expectation of like, all right, you better go win the national championship and like all this and that, like he, he kind of gets the second fiddle to Lawrence. And so I think he'll be able to put on a little more of a show and, and, win yeah i agree i think he definitely took the lead this week if not early already and uh, it'll be exciting to see what team gets him after the jets get trevor lawrence so that'll be an exciting thing to watch in the draft as well um let's go to iowa really quick before we go to the big games of the weekend iowa state playing baylor this weekend isu coming back from 24 10 in a big three touchdown third quarter to win brock purdy inconsistent as ever three touchdowns three interceptions for isu they got the job done though they beat baylor 38 to 31 what we think of the cyclones this weekend yeah i mean like purdy was talked about as as the heisman guy for iowa state and it it shouldn't be to Brees hall guys 1034 rushing yards 13 touchdowns he's been honestly from start to finish you know or from start to right now the best running back in college football um, and he's really kind of helped cover up some of those interceptions that that Purdy does tend to throw. You know, they're I mean they're they're top of the Big Twelve right now. Um, Oklahoma State does have the tiebreaker on them. Tough games against Kansas State and Texas still laying ahead of them. But Iowa State has you know they, they really probably if they if they're the team they think they are should be playing in the uh, or for the back for the Big Twelve championship uh, at the end of this year. But um, as we've seen before, usually Iowa State tends to, you know, drop drop this game against K State or, or go down to Austin and lose. So I, I I'm not sure they'll get it done. But uh, right now, it's it's totally in their control. Yeah, surprising to say something totally in Iowa State's control. Uh, good words to say for any team, I suppose. But uh, we wish them well in the Big Twelve. We wish them well, especially now that we're not playing them. But let's go to the real team of Iowa. It is the Iowa Hawkeyes had a rough start to the season, had a, you know, kind of torrid off season coming in playing Michigan state. They were favored. We weren't so sure whether they should be, but they came out and trashed in this one. It was a 49 to seven win over Michigan state. Tyler Goodson at 113 yards and two touchdowns on the ground. Spencer Petrus, 167 yards and one touchdown, no interceptions. And it was the special teams and the defense getting it done. A punt returned by Charlie Jones for the touchdown, an interception in turn by Riley Moss for a touchdown, two extra rushing touchdowns by Makai Sargent. MSU held to only 59 yards rushing by that Hawkeye run defense, um, despite attempting 32 rushes. So it's not like they didn't try. And uh, Hawkeyes held them to 286 yards total. What do we think about the Iowa Hawkeyes win over Michigan State? Yeah, it was a solid win. I mean, I think especially like losing the way we did those first two games um, and, and kind of the, the tumultuous offseason, 
that they've had with the pandemic and, and with the the allegations and everything, it would have been so easy for for all of them to kind of you know pack it in and call it a season after those first two weeks. So I, I think you had to commend them for coming out ready to play. The offense still hasn't looked quite incredible. Um, I, I think they can do more to, to help Petrus out personally. Um, but Goodson got going in this one. And as he said, defense and special teams, I, I, I absolutely love the the ex-Dowling player, Jack Kerner, picking off his old rival uh, in the uh, um, West Des Moines Valley guy and uh, Rocky Lombardi, one of three picks for Lombardi and a fumble. So he's just kind of a turnover prone quarterback, but yeah, it was, it was, it was a solid day. I think we went up 21 zero and I immediately got worried. I was like, all right, here's where we, you know, collapse and and let them back in the game. But as you said, great, great punt return from, um, uh, pardon me, Charlie Jones and then Riley Moss getting the pick six and, and, you know, ending the half in that way, really put it away for the Hawks. But uh, yeah, I think, I think this week, against Minnesota will, will help tell more because I, I think Michigan state also is just not a very good team. You know, Mel, if we're talking about teams that are taking over a tumultuous, tumultuous situation, Mel Tucker probably has it even worse than Kirk Ferentz right now. So not a great situation there. And and when you get a quarterback that turns the ball over four times, your, your team should beat that team. All right. That's fair. And uh, so the Iowa Hawkeyes did what was expected of them uh, given the turnovers. So that's good for them. Uh, they play Friday night, so that'll be fun. We'll be watching and uh, hoping that they make it two out of two and erase the roughness of the of the beginning of the season. All right, let's move to the big games of the weekend. We'll start with Florida playing Georgia, the eighth seed playing the fifth seed, but it seemed closer than that. And Matthew, it was Florida technically upsetting Georgia uh, at the eighth seed with a forty-four to twenty-eight win i mean florida georgia had a 14-0 lead but uh florida you know tied them up by the end of the first quarter dominated the game after that uh tying touchdown and we talked about it how many times did we talk to you all about it stetson bennett cannot get it done and he did not get it done he had one touchdown and one interception georgia didn't even trust him enough to throw the ball he had only 16 attempts in the air and that's not what you want from a quarterback that needs to lead you to a win in a big game. On the other side of the ball, Kyle Trask, four touchdowns on 474 yards in the victory. You know, one interception, fair, but, you know, dominated a good Georgia defense. And Florida, we knew they were going to win, and they did. And Georgia, not the team we expected them to be. A lot of it is on the quarterback that they have, not being the quarterback they need. Florida's up four, you know, four and one on their season. Georgia four and two basically out of the playoff race at this point what do we think about this game Matthew yeah I mean this game as we kind of talked about coming into it was going to come down to the quarterbacks we, we felt like both defenses were strong maybe Georgia's a little more traditionally good but but Florida is a team that can cause a lot of turnovers um so who who is going to win the quarterback battle and and Trask did what we kind of expected, probably even a better game than I expected. 474 yards, four touchdowns. You mentioned the pick six, but that can be forgiven when you throw for almost half a thousand um, and, and and play like he did. I, I think the game certainly brings him into the, in the Heisman conversation um, and, and deserving of at the moment, you know, an invite to New York uh, as he's really, you know, led this 
Florida offense. Um, and it's, it's been pretty prolific. I mean, Trask is, it's been, it's been the Kyles for, for Florida, Kyle Trask and Kyle Pitts, uh, wish Mr. Pitts a healthy recovery. He did suffer a concussion in this game. So hopefully he'll get well and get back because he, he's been such a dynamic playmaker for them. Always kind of not only like as a safety valve to help Kyle Trask out when things are bad, but also just making plays. Um, so yeah, I, I think Florida with that offense, you, you kind of expect a shootout between them and Bama and and what looks like will be the SEC championship game. But yeah, really, really even more impressive of a performance for Kyle Trask than I expected and probably even worse performance by Stetson Bennett than I expected. Not, not the turnovers he had as much against Bama, but like you said, five for 16. I mean, that's, that's horrible for the number five team in the country. Um, and honestly, that game too was summed up perfectly they cut to when they were going to put in the backup Mathis on the sideline and he threw a pass and it like hit the equipment guy in the head. Like it was a, a God awful pass and it epitomized just what the struggles are with Georgia. I mean, they're, they're not a team that wants to throw the ball a lot. They want to run the ball and and make the little easy passes. But when you have a quarterback that can't even do that, you're in trouble. Right. And I, and I don't think that his, his team trusts him either so that doesn't help anything at all so yeah georgia kind of out of the playoff race and florida staunchly in it i definitely think kyle trask deserves consideration for the heisman as well as a first round pick so we shall see how that develops in the coming months for sure and now you know given the big florida georgia game you thought that would be the big one of the week but it was not it was the notre dame clemson game obviously clemson unless you're under a rock and you don't know this let me remind you clemson without Trevor Lawrence due to the COVID protocol, you know, big game, you know, DJ uh, Uangale, Uangale, I don't know. People have been saying his name different. I tried to figure it out. It's Uangale, I believe, but we'll, you know, we'll see. Um, but uh, DJ Uangale, uh, you know, having Clemson come from behind against BC uh, in last week's game, or two weeks ago, my bad. And so people were saying, you know, he looked good at the end. Can he really you know, take them to the win, but it was not to be his night. Notre Dame upsetting Clemson 47 to 40 in a double overtime victory. It was a back and forth game the whole time. I mean, really, there was never a team that had a complete control over it. You know, DJ had two touchdowns, 439 yards passing. Maybe a surprising stat, Etienne only had 18 carries for 28 yards and a touchdown. So the rushing not really there for Clemson like it usually is. There you go. That's kind of the stat to look at there. Uh, Cornell Powell, uh, in terms of we've talked good Clemson receivers already, another good Clemson receiver, six receptions, 161 yards and one touchdown for the Clemson wideout. Uh, Ian Book, 310 yards in the air and one touchdown, but you got to say was a key playmaker in the game, especially towards the end when they had to grab the victory. You know, we thought, can he, you know, go toe to toe with a quarterback like DJ? And he definitely did. Another player to note, Kyron Williams, 23 carries, 140 yards, and three touchdowns in the main driving scoring force for Notre Dame. So Clemson loses without Trevor Lawrence. Notre Dame beats Clemson in double overtime without Trevor Lawrence. What do you think the chances for these two teams are going forward in the CFB? Yeah, I mean, for me, I think it's pretty clear that both teams will get in. Um, You know, it's, it's a nice win for Notre Dame. I think probably a big win for Brian Kelly because it's his first win over a top five team. 
is this game mean Notre Dame back? I, I certainly don't think so. And I think when you're the fourth ranked team and you storm the field after beating the number one ranked team in double overtime, I think it shows that you're not back because you've never been there. You you all don't know how to act like you're the number four team beating the number one team. You don't do that. But I, I suppose ah, that's, ah, ah. that's the case when your last national championship is in 1988 and you think you're still relevant. That being said, uh, in, in, in this game, well, it's true. I, in this game, DJ Uagalele deserves no like uh, critique. It was not his fault that Clemson lost this game. 439 yards, two touchdowns. 40 points offensively. So apparently he was doing enough to get them a decent amount of points. Clemson defense gave up 47. And I know that's a little, you know, it pounded on because of overtime, but 33 in regulation. You mentioned Travis Etienne. He's the guy that's supposed to be a Heisman finalist, not DJ, not, not the freshman. 18 carries, 28 yards, and a fumble. And those fumbles by Clemson killed him. It, it, it was a, a sloppy game by Clemson. I, I thought it was a nice win by Notre Dame, but I, I don't know how you can watch that game and think when Trevor Lawrence is is, is healthy. Like, I, I think Clemson will be a better team. Defense has to short up, but like they made dumb mistakes with the fumbles, um, and I, I think the rushing game will be better. I was impressed. I, I, I do need to give credit to, to Notre Dame. Their, their, their rush defense was strong, and their rushing attack w- was very good, over 208 yards themselves. So – it was a, a good game by Notre Dame, but I'm I'm just not ready to give them the praise and the credit that that they want to give themselves. Um, and the last time they played Clemson, they lost like thirty to zero. So there's one more game where they, they should play, you know, Trevor Lawrence, and then they can really impress me. But but as of right now, I, I think that game was an oddly bad defensive performance by Clemson and and three fumbles particularly by, you know, your, your two receivers and your Heisman running back just can't happen. So uh, yeah, it looks like both these teams now will, will be in the college football playoff, but uh, I still think, you know, Notre Dame probably would be the fourth team and they still don't seem as good to me as Clemson, Alabama and Ohio state Clemson being at full strength. The college football nightmare though begins if, if Alabama loses to Florida and you've got a one loss Florida and a one loss Bama and even a, a one-loss A&M, and Clemson and Notre Dame have losses, and there's an undefeated Pac-12. Like, there, there's a whole lot of chaos that could come into play if if Florida beats Bama. And, um, you know, we'll see what happens. We always, you know, wonder if, if the waters will be muddied, but they seem to kind of make a clear picture in the end. But, you know, will the shortened season maybe not clear those muddied waters as much? Yeah, I mean, whew. Mac Jones versus Kyle Kyle Trask. That's going to be a big matchup to see which of those quarterbacks is has got it. You know, because both of them have impressed. But which one? I don't know what the line. Is. I don't know what the line will be, but I'll take the over. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Like, the defenses are like, we're not here. We'll just see how far Man. these guys pass and uh, and hope for the best. Uh, for sure, it's going don't to be exciting. Don't mind us. Exciting. We'll just be over here. Yeah, we got to watch that game. That's going to be a good one. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's, I think it's going to be complicated by the end of the season with everything happening for sure. And I agree. I mean, notice how I didn't make any declarations about Notre Dame either. I didn't say, oh, are Notre Dame the team? To-? They're not, you know, they, this was Ian Book being able to hold. I mean, I'm not, again, this isn't taking away from DJ Ongale's performance, but this was Ian Book being able to go toe to toe with DJ Ongale, a freshman quarterback 
This was not Ian Book being able to go up toe-to-toe against Trevor Lawrence because you know what? He can't. He can't do that. Like, Trevor Lawrence is too good to for someone to go toe-to-toe with him, at least on Notre Dame's team. And at the same time, DJ Ongole is great, and he's going to be, you know, a top pick soon here enough. But you have to say Notre Dame's rush defense was able to key in on probably on Travis Etienne because they weren't as worried about what DJ could do against them. You can't do that against Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence will throw 700 yards on your ass. That's just like I mean, what DJ still threw 400. I mean, it, it, <clears> right. is tough, it is a tough game to be like, oh, yeah, Trevor Lawrence is going to come back. But it, it's, it's for me, it's less of like just him coming back is just like, I don't see Clemson running the ball like they did like that again. I don't see Clemson's defense giving up that much, that many points. Like I think, I think Clemson as a whole probably just wasn't all there mentally without their leader because quarterback wise, like what more can Lawrence do? You want him to throw for 450 yards? Like DJ did what a quarterback needs to do. It's just the rest of the team without him, like being like, I don't see that performance coming from Clemson. We we've seen them be too good and consistent over the last few years that they're, they're not going to come out and have a better defensive game plan and not turn the ball over as much like turnover. You lose the turnover battle. This is what happens. You lose, you lose a close game in overtime. Yep. That is what happens, but it was a good win for Notre Dame. Uh, them storming the field in the epitome of their program though. What a dumb thing to do in the middle of a pandemic. I mean, could you be any less classy? My dumb goodness. thing to do, even if there wasn't a pandemic, you're the right, number but- four team. You <laughs> don't storm the field when you beat number one. You act like, uh, yeah, no, we're number one. And you walk home like how a number one team would walk home. Do you see Bama storm the field when they beat top ten teams? No. They all go home and they say, yeah, that's what we expect to happen. Yeah, and that's just it. Notre Dame, those expectations are not there for Notre Dame. So that's just it. I mean, you bring up a good point. But – Good, I mean, good win for them nonetheless. It, it's going to make the playoff picture interesting for sure. I mean, <clears throat> we're it kind of makes it our- clear. Like it's like if now it seems <laughs> evident if if you know Clemson, but I, I think Notre Dame's at ri- I think Notre Dame's at upset risk this week. I think BC is it's an old old rivalry. It's a game that would make BC's season. They're wearing special uniforms uh, for someone that passed uh, in nine eleven this weekend so that you know there's the extra added motivation there notre dame's coming off a massive match like for them it is a massive win like those guys are all feeling it and 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 credit to them so this is those kind of letdown games and then the the clear path that we see right now of alabama ohio state clemson notre dame becomes much more fucked up (laughs) yeah that's true i mean and like We've got a lot of games canceled again this weekend. You know, what happens? Where does that future lie? Uh, who Whose games get canceled in that big six that, like, further messes up the situation? It's going to be interesting to follow this entire season, and and I would not want to be on the college football playoff board it, it, by any means. Never, ever, but, like, definitely not this season. This season's going to be absolute hell for them. I feel bad. I, I do. It's going to be hard. Or it'll be, or it'll be really, really simple. Like, or it'll be these four. Like, they, yeah. they have, yeah. have been the best four. Like, it'll either be absolute chaos trying to figure out the last one or two teams, or these all these teams all win out. Clemson beats Notre Dame in the rematch like we expect, and then it's the, it's those four without a doubt. Yeah, there you go. Well, whatever happens, me and Matt will be here to talk about it, and that is your college football playoff Pre, uh, review for the week.